and welcome to Island Artcast, uncovering the creative industry with me, Olivia Savage, as your host. Here we talk about all things art, and each week I'll be joined by inspiring Max creatives to discuss creative careers, as well as burning topics in the art world today, to keep that creative mind of yours in action. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Island Artcast. For today's episode, we are going to jump into a really important topic that is sustainability in the fashion industry. I'm joined by two fashion designers. Firstly, we have Molly Wade, who was born and raised on the Isle of Man. Molly graduated from Middlesex University with a BA in textile design two years ago, and her 2019 grad collection was selected for a feature in New York Fashion Week. Molly has been working behind the scenes since then of starting up her own business, Woolly Made, in which the collections are made entirely by Molly and is a 100% zero-waste clothing brand. My second guest phoning in is Alexandra Groover. Alexandra is an American designer originally from California, but living in London full-time. Alexandra studied at both Central St. Martins and Rhode Island School of Design. She's worked for Alexander McQueen and Zandra Rhodes and has been a successful entrepreneur under her own name since 2008 with collections that are, and I've taken this from her website, aimed at a customer who wants special garments that will last years rather than seasons. So the fashion industry is one of the most wasteful industries in the world right now. According to edgeexpo.com, 208 million pounds of waste were generated by single-use outfits in 2019, and customers throw away shoes and clothing at an average of 70 pounds per person each year, and they report that up to 95% of the textiles that are landfilled each year could actually be recycled. Fast fashion became a huge problem for both pollution and exploitation of employees in the 90s and 2000s, and in more recent years, the industry has been increasingly working hard to battle these facts and work towards a more eco-friendly runway. Today, myself, Molly and Alexandra will discuss the rise and fall of fast fashion and the costs of transitioning to a more sustainable wardrobe, and my guests are here to give all of you listeners some tips and tricks to becoming more eco-friendly when you buy. So, to kick things off... Uh, Molly, I'll come to you first. Can you tell us a bit about your history with fashion and the inspiration for your upcoming brand? Yeah, of course. So my interest first started all with the textile. Um, I love illustration and I love like the artsy side of things anyway. So to like combine that with, with fashion and clothing, textile, like fashion and textiles was really the way that I definitely wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So I love everything to do with print embellishments like weave different textures um and all that sort of stuff which I think is is like a really nice kind of compliment to the cut and silhouette so that's the way that I kind of went and since I graduated um it was two years ago now but obviously with Covid I ended up moving back from London last year Mm. and since then like the the kind of creative community on the island has, has changed so much and it's become so much more vibrant and um more out there in in the community so I thought it'd be a really good idea to kind of just kind of pursue my passion over here for a little bit and and start up my own business from there but the idea of sustainability and I think like supporting small businesses on the island at the moment is really like having a moment as well which is really nice Mm -hmm. starting up my own little business over here it was really important for me to kind of integrate everything that I was passionate about which was quality um, like long lasting pieces but also getting my own like aesthetic and my own like, craft into the pieces as well yeah. so that was super important for me to kind of look at uh, within my new little brand um, and that's just kind of what I'm discovering at the moment really and was where I'm at. Oh nice <laughs> and so in your time at uni like did you notice or 
discover anything that you didn't know before in terms of how the fashion industry works with wasteful fashion in this I think it's called what um circular <clears throat> circular economy I think where they try to waste as little as possible yeah definitely and um, when you start when you start out just exploring the, the industry as a whole you like it's done without even meaning it like when you're in different kind of creative mediums like illustration or painting or whatever there's so much like less waste but when you come to clothing like when you're twirling or like experimenting there's so much waste because you're always cutting that you can't use like the same Mm -hmm. really can't use like the same piece of fabric twice like there's so many different like components to to clothing like when you think about like zips buttons threads there's so much in that that you just don't think about when you're just buying clothes yeah and there's so much waste there and when I, I remember when I first started I knew that it was almost impossible to create that kind of closed loop where you know you start from your design concept make it have the piece out in circulation um, and ultimately like so much was getting lost along the way like you can't control all the waste that you produce and and well as the as the model is now you can't control like the waste that you produce so it was always in the back of my mind and towards the end of my degree when I was thinking about what I wanted to do and how I'd like find my place in this industry I knew I didn't want to go in I didn't want to start that kind of journey um following the model as it were if you like because I I do have a conscience (laughs) I I don't want to be producing loads of waste (laughs) don't want to to, like make this world a worse place (laughs) but you have to take that you kind of have to you can't not consider that when you enter this sort of industry like you have to be aware that unless you're really careful and you do commit to to making it a better industry to be in um you you do pose a lot of risk to be like quite harmful without even mm. even noticing it so it's so so important and the more I studied it and the more I, I got into it like the more apparent it was like it's the worst industry for for waste I think and for like mass consumption and it's quite cor- like corrupt like it's it's put on the consumer's head yeah um so do you feel a to pressure be careful, like but it should be like the brand so as like a new person moving into it do you feel pressure to like from the get-go try to change that way of thinking in your new position definitely but I think a lot of designers at the moment or or at least like household brands as well are doing it they're kind of they're trying to sell sustainability as as a selling point almost Mm -hmm. like greenwashing consumers and that's super like you can't discredit the term because if someone if a brand has really worked hard to to be like sustainable or ethical um everyone using that term to just to push their products out and not using it in the right context is is quite harmful so I I, as much as I want to be seen as a sustainable and zero waste brand I don't want to use it as a selling point I just want that to be ingrained in what I do yeah and I think that's definitely the way forward yeah like it shouldn't even be and like you shouldn't take a brand further if you can't control like the consequences and the impact it has on the outside world yeah and with your brand as well because you're you're completely zero waste you recycle the scraps and stuff can you just explain a little bit about how you do that yeah so it's quite on it's on like quite a small scale at the moment which is which is really nice to start out with but basically all I do a lot of fashion print I specialize in fashion print um so all the fabric that I print it takes quite a while to do anyway it's it's like at least a couple of days process with all the drying and the different like 
treatments you have to give to mm -hmm. it anyway so I don't want to waste any fabric so I keep all the scraps and I use as much zero waste patterns as possible um, and then I use them and I kind of patchwork patch them together and at the moment I'm making like little teddy bears out of them and they're super cute and they, they match all the clothes and the accessories <laughs> but um, that's just like a really simple way for example of what I'm doing at the moment of just using like any little scrap you can mm -hmm. and if it's too small I shred it and I use it for stuffing so yeah. it's all getting used and none of it's going in the bin so oh. that's how I'm using it at the moment but obviously there's all sorts of like ways you can upcycle garments or take them apart and use the components in that like there's, it's a huge kind of like idea if you like that would take ages to get into yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um Alexandra just come over to you so you mentioned mm -hmm. in the bio on your website as I said earlier that your clothes are made to last years rather than seasons and that line really made me think about this sort of seasonal culture within fashion and how obviously this whole movement came originally from a natural need to change up what you wear throughout the year and like putting away the massive winter coats and bringing out the denim shorts and all that kind of thing but has this need for seasonal collections and how it's now grown had an impact on overproduction in your in your opinion um, yes, I mean, I think it's gotten a little bit out of hand, really. Um, I think probably back in the days, um, offering new coats for the wintertime and, you know, new T-shirts or, or shirts for the summertime was probably not so bad because people would only buy what they needed. Um, mm -hmm. And clothing cost a lot more. It was a, a much bigger part of of people's incomes. But now, um, with fast fashion, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a free for all and, and, and marketing and social media have encouraged people to buy more than they actually need. And I think, you know, that was kind of the turning point when clothing became a very small fraction of, of people's income. And, um, and, 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 and all this overconsumption started happening. So, and, and this encouragement that you need to have, you know, a different outfit every day or, or a new, a new look every time uh, there's a new delivery in a shop or, or things like this. So I think the dynamics changed and, and, and it's unfortunate because then you end up with all this waste and, and these social media stars that, have to show something different every day and that encourages other people to emulate that and and um and that's a big problem obviously yeah and, and how do you then challenge that attitude in your work how do you bring that into the stuff that you make for me i i don't really look at trends um i'm more interested in in the integrity of the garment and in something that's interesting beyond a seasonal trend. Um, I work a lot in um, black and off-white and um, colors that aren't necessarily seasonal um, that suit many skin tones and, and, and body types. And, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my clothing is, is make something that's, that's not trendy, that, that's interesting in its own right and, and wearable and um, and my hope is that that it's something that people will will always return to in their closet, like I do with 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 the clothing of mine that I wear. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one sort of one aim that I take is is I try to encourage this culture of not following trends and and you know choosing things because you like them, not because they're cool. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely that growth and attitude, and I think particularly sort of in the later half of the 
20th century in terms of you know like coming out of the war and there was like the the boomer generations and stuff and this capitalist um attitude i think of like these bigger organizations being able to form this advertising that tells you that you need these commodities that like they've now become a necessity and yeah has that kind of been like reflected in fashion do you think that's where it all started really um yeah i mean i'm sure that you know the birth of of the advertising industry had a lot to do with it the boomers having you know a a decent amount of wealth compared to you know the later generations i think that that made a difference um all of these things women becoming independent and having their own paychecks and um it's just i think it's a it's a big combination of things and also just the expansion of uh of companies with with investors that need to be reimbursed for their investments you know but and now we have social media and this has really catapulted this conditioned thinking of i need to have this right now with the instant sort of way that social media works and equally as you were saying that we have influencers that are sporting these outfits that make you feel like I need to look like them therefore I need the outfit that they're wearing today and then tomorrow you go I need to look like them again so I need to wear the outfit that they're wearing today and so Mal I wanted to ask you like do you think that social media is just helping to pollute the industry or it can actually be used for good as well? I 100% think it's just a catalyst in the crazy pace of what fast fashion is today it's it's grown so big and the thing and i think the 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 issue is now like the internet is so like ingrained into everyday life and you've got access to absolutely like everything in the whole world when you when you put that into perspective like one person's brain has to take in all this information and it's it's never ending it's actually too much for people to i think comprehend Mm -hmm. like not just in fashion but in every day so when you've got all this sort of inspiration it just goes down your your instagram feed like the algorithms like everything's everything is conditioned to make you spend more Mm -hmm. in the industry in in like any industry so i as much as i like like platforms to 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 reach a bigger audience um and that's what we always thought oh this is so great like you know you can reach bigger audiences you can have a digital you can show your like your your work digitally and you can yeah. reach more people like across different places where whereas you couldn't have done that before but i think that was just like a small aspect and it's just been completely overridden by the fact it's almost obsolete because there's so much everywhere that you couldn't possibly make an informed decision on what you're buying and yeah. what's put in front of you and and how that comes about to be to be what it is 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 so like that just takes over everything and i what i don't like as like a designer and um in my own work like i put a lot of that you put as a as designers you put you put a lot of effort into your work and if you were to post something online like it will get a reaction for a day but if you're not keeping up with that sort of like constant posting and interacting with like followers like it's draining and you can't produce work that fast and it kind of discredits like the value in it as well and then that brings on like an internal battle like people if people aren't going to care about it in two days and that kind of discredits like the value of of like people's craft not just in fashion but in everything and I think that's really dangerous as well yeah and it's hard to it's hard to 
you know make a change instantly because we're yeah. all I mean we're all kind of guilty of it in a way like 100%. we all fall for like okay I'm gonna follow Zara and then Zara posts like however many times a day and we're all like oh like we'll message each other and be like so I'm gonna get by this top now and the sales starts tonight and yeah. it's, it's hard to move out of it but you've got to sort of find how you can use it for good yeah definitely and if you think if if I look in my wardrobe now um like if I pick out my favorite pieces I guarantee like the things I wear over and over again and you can you wear them this year that year they they last three seasons like winter and summer or anything like that I guarantee the pieces that I prefer or I wear most are the ones I've spent more on and that there's more thought gone into them but these like five pound tops or that penny sale that pretty little thing did was just bang out of order like I don't think I bet half of that stuff's in the bin now yeah probably lasted one wash or something yeah exactly and you'd never think of wearing it again yeah definitely and coming to that as well because you mentioned earlier about um sustainability being like a trend Mm. and social media has kind of influenced that as well yeah and it's such a weird thing because they like we were talking about in the last episode um about pride and how it can be mistaken as a trend because it's just happening for one month and do you find it's the same thing like it's sort of it's cool for a few weeks while we promote it as sustainable so that just makes me question then who's to blame and Alexandra I want to come to you for this one because you've worked for Alexander McQueen and you've worked for Xandra Rhodes as well and I was just thinking because obviously it's it's much easier to sit here and sort of say to listeners um who are the customers how they can be more mindful and waste less when they come to buy different places that they can shop different sustainable brands and all that kind of thing but there is also how the brands operate themselves and they can be a huge contributor to waste. I'm pretty sure I read um, an article the other day that was about um, Burberry, I think, and how they were burning loads of their clothes a couple of years ago, like their handbags and stuff. And it just yes, made me question. It was criminal. Yeah, like who, like in your opinion, who do you think is more of the culprit? Like who should we be turning the finger to? Yeah, um, well, it's, it's interesting you brought up luxury brands because when I was... Um, first living in, in London as a, as, as a young person, um, I worked for uh, Louis Vuitton. And, um, you know, they're all very uh, concerned with preserving this exclusivity. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that was the motivation in um, burning this Burberry product is that they just don't want to, to come across as, as, a, as a, you know, anything other than a luxury brand and they must be exclusive and nobody must think that they can get these exclusive products at a discount. So they're not going to, they're not going to discount them or put them in the sale. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that a lot of companies have that business model. And even when I was a student in America, um, I worked for urban outfitters and let's say if we had a a set of glasses in the homeware section um, and there was a broken glass, in the box we had to destroy the other glasses all of them and throw them away what? yeah That's because nuts. we couldn't take them home because that would encourage a culture of uh you know accidentally breaking glasses and and taking them home for ourselves or you know <laughs> things like this so we had to destroy product there as well and that's not a luxury brand that was just company policy because they don't want people dumpster diving so we had to destroy it before we threw it away um, and that's just really depressing to hear. But I think um, now that the Burberry thing's been out, I'm hoping that, that companies will change their policy and at least 
you know, maybe sell them for charity donations or, 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 or something else. You know, there's always a better, more humane solution. And, you know, Burberry could have done a charity auction with yeah. those things. They could have done something really good. And instead they chose to, you know, create a product that takes a lot of labor and a big carbon footprint and then make an even bigger carbon footprint by burning it. And I'm sure it had plenty of, you know, plastics and, and other chemicals that, that were released into the atmosphere. So, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit sad to me that, that nobody is working for that company that's there to come up with solutions that are not destructive like that. I'm sure they probably have someone now, at least I hope they do, a sustainability person. But, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure I was, I'm sure I was listening recently that, that people hire, I can't remember what the exact name is, but it's like a, a director who is responsible for concerning themselves with sustainability within the brand. But a lot of the time it can be more of a formality than you mm. know, to say that they've got yeah. one. Um, and yeah. do, do you think then that there's a difference between lux- how luxury brands work towards sustainability and how the more high street brands like Pretty Little Thing and Misguided, for example, who are kind of known for the amount of clothes that they produce. So do you think they op- operate really differently in terms of how they try to be sustainable? Um, I think I think it's starting to change now, and um, I do think they probably approach it differently. I mean, luxury brands, to some extent, um, for some of their products, obviously not all of them, you know, they have to be made by skilled people and 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 paid properly. However, you know, that's changed too because the factories in China are are, are very good at, at at manufacturing to a high level now. And um, it's not the same as when, you know, leather goods had to be made in Italy, for example. Mm. Um, And so I think I think they become more similar over the years, you know, because of all the manufacturing being moved to just one place and and the loss of sort of handmade goods. Um, I do think there are some luxury companies out there that that are more sustainable by default just because of the level of of quality of their goods. Um, But. I think the bread and butter is is for both luxury and high street things like um you know t-shirts and jeans and accessories most of the time and and those are all made in the same factories and, and you know the level of quality might be slightly different but it we're, we all end up back at the same sort of place where um people are 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 being encouraged to buy uh lots of product and um that's most likely made in 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 factories that may not have um, auditing and um, any kind of uh, regulations when it comes to workers' rights and things like that. Um, You know, I still keep reading articles about how they just, they're all choosing to turn a blind eye, you know. And um, Rana Plaza was a big, horrible event where, you know, the factory collapsed and, 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 and they still haven't made much progress since then. And, and, and that's, you know, pretty sad to hear, but I'm also not surprised. Yeah. And speaking of change, I mean, obviously this last year has seen change for, I mean, so many different industries and particularly with um, clothing industries and trying to make sure that they're paying their workers. And it's made society and people not only think to take more care of themselves, but also to take more care of our planet. And we've seen less pollution overall due to less activity in cities and less planes in the air you know to put it really broadly um 
Equally, yeah. however, there was a massive boom in online shopping because everyone was home and everyone had more time to spend on slightly more luxury things because they weren't having to spend on the mundane everyday transport and that kind of thing. And mm. so I was just wondering, Mal, I'll come to you for this one, whether you think the fashion industry has responded to COVID in terms of, say, cutting back on production due to funds or maybe taking the time to reevaluate wasteful materials that they use and is there any effects that's happened so far that you think could be positive long ter- long term effects? I think they definitely it definitely forced anyone in the industry to reevaluate um how they kind of operate on a daily basis. For example, in the last season, McQueen's entire collection was completely made out of, like dead stock fabrics, which is always really nice to see. Mm-hmm. But they must have had loads yeah. thinking about it. Like if you could make a whole collection out of dead stock, like how much dead stock is behind those doors and then you can think about that for any other um any other kind of brand or, or big fashion house so it did i think it did force people to kind of be more resourceful which is really which is really good obviously moving forward and they can be more resilient but in terms of um in terms of if it's had like a positive effect i think it's you would hope it's kind of made brands need be more um like treat their employees fairer and their factories fairer and and things like that because i think at the same time it's it's probably also forced people to like take more drastic changes or trying to like cut um margins or increase profit margins things like that so i think on the surface it probably looks like brands are being more resourceful Mm -hmm. but under the surface i reckon there's going to be a lot more um unfair treatment on the people at the kind of bottom end of the hierarchy yeah well i was thinking quite worrying yeah i was thinking that recently actually because in their whole process of trying to cut back on um funds and trying to be more resourceful it's often the factory workers that actually get left behind in that in that thinking in terms of how they're going to be helped yeah and that's that's a really difficult one to come to because if you're a british brand for example and you want to use factories in england there's obviously loads of regulations in place and there is still some that go under the radar. Like there was a big scandal with, um, I think it was misguided or mm. a, a factory in Leicester. Um, but a lot of the factories over here, where you can actually go and visit easily and see their regulations and see how things are made and the processes they use and how they pay their workers and whatnot. But it, as a, as standard is, it's so much more expensive to use factories in Britain than it is to go and use them in China, for example. Right. Where you don't know what the right we can't exactly see what the regulations are and they operate on a much larger larger scale so it's something that's like it could change but it couldn't change in a day like they'd have if they were to move to more um ethically sourced factories that are more fair on employees it would have they'd have to take a mass they'd have to pay so much more to do that and it would be like a long term definitely that's why if you see if you were to see like a british made brand and everything's made in britain or sourced in britain like the quality will be there of course but that will automatically jump the price yeah just due to where it's been made yeah and that's such an interesting point as well because i was thinking in terms of the customer like how do you convince people to make that change when there are people who are and it is it's a naive way of thinking and but there are a lot of people who will be like you know, like I could, I could be more sustainable, but like I'd have to spend like days after days going in charity shops trying to find the right thing, or I'd have to do so much more work to make sure that I'm buying completely sustainably. Like, how do you yeah. change that mindset? That is completely half the battle. But yeah, if you see two jumpers or coats, for example, and one's got 
you know, a £50 price tag and one's got a £350 price tag, instantly in your head you're going to think, mm, one, one choice, like one person's choices aren't yeah. going to affect the long-term outcome. And you, it's just, it's so hard and I don't think it's going to happen overnight or within the next 10 years, but we have to adopt or just make little choices every day to adopt a more sustainable ethical mindset Mm -hmm. but if you like if if you were to go out of your way on one occasion just try and buy something or do a little bit more research into the brand that you're you're buying into or where you're buying your clothes from um and if you do take that time or go out of your way to to try and buy something that's more sustainable ethically produced the chances are that that garment you're going to love much more it's going to fit better it'll last you know seasons to come or years to come and then if it does get um what's the word ripped yeah <laughs> I don't know why it's really got to my head <laughs> like if Broken. it gets ripped or it's just general wear and tear from wearing it over the years then you can take it to a seamstress yeah and you could get it repaired or if it's a pair of shoes like you could take it to an actual like repair shop and these things are like are doable mm. I think for example, I, in like to my everyday life, I don't think about there's seamstresses down the road or there's this person down the road that can help me fix my clothes. But in actual fact, there's there's actually loads, and it, it is something that people do. And I think it's more that comes in with like um, a generation divide as well. I think like the older generations are more likely to take their things off to get repaired, so they'll get more wear out of them because mm-hmm. if you break something, it gets fixed. Yeah. Whereas like the younger generation or like a little bit like a scuff or a tear there's no value in it so just chuck it out and that's like that's like the big problem I think I think it's it's so important to to kind of just buy more buy into value yeah not into a trend yeah and hopefully it will last longer and you can get more more out more for your money in the long run mm-hmm. it's just not an instant effect and we're so used to instant like we have this now we want this now we need to we need to kind of straight up like take ourselves away from that Mm -hmm. and I was thinking as well obviously with the Isle of Man like it's it's easier to be aware of your local suppliers in terms of um in terms of like seamstresses and also like like independent brands and stuff and Alexandra do you find it's hard to find those more local independent places that are completely sustainable when you're somewhere like London or California that are so that have massive brands sort of dominating the area um well I think the the benefits of being in in what I'd say are very very liberal places like London and California uh, is that um they're kind of I, I I guess I'd say they're maybe forerunners of of this new movement of trying to be sustainable. And we also have this history of denim in California and denim is something that has always been repaired and that trend is still kind of going. So I think it's probably easier to find them in, in, in places like that. London um, is always, you know, doing interesting things. And, and I think they have a reputation, especially fashion wise for being sort of, uh, forward thinking mm-hmm. and and the same with California so in, in the times I've been spending in both places um, I think it's it's been interesting to see that uh, there are a lot of a lot of brands even even when I first moved here that that were were moving in that direction and and when I first started out I knew that I wanted to make everything in in England because 
it has more integrity and I think it makes a small brand more special. And, um, and I think the same in California, you get, we well, have a lot of hippies too, and, and they've always kind of been more focused on, on sustainable living. So I think, um, despite having the fast fashion as well, you, you've, you, you have this core of, of people that have always kind of moved in, in that direction of, of, less waste and sustainability and um having recently spent some time there it's been it's been really nice to see all the cool brands that have that have appeared um over the years that i've mostly spent here and then just to finish off for for our listeners obviously we've talked so much about um the what's been happening in terms of fast fashion over the years and how it's not going to be a quick change it's going to be a long-term change and so just to summarize for people out there that are looking to be more sustainable in what they're buying Alexandra I'll start with you what advice could you give to a listener if they were thinking I need to make that step into thinking more eco-friendly but I don't know where to start yeah well I mean I'm uh, thinking back to sort of my childhood and, and and things like that uh one of my main inspirations was my late father who was quite eccentric and at one point we had a moth problem and uh, all of his sweaters had holes in them. And, you know, he was of that generation that learned about these things and he knew how to crochet. So he crocheted polka dots of very crazy colors into all of those moth holes. And, um, and I just think that's a good way to think, you know, creative repairs are one of my favorite solutions and, and also just saving up for something you love and, and I like the hunt of going to charity shops and, and, th- and thrift stores and things like that. And many of them are online now. So, um, you know, you can spend your time shopping online and on secondhand shops. You can get very good designer clothes um, for, for very good prices on, on, on various secondhand websites. And I just think, you know, that's a really great place to start. And, and now that we're sort of locked in a lot of the time, learning creative repairs can be a really fun, meditative, therapeutic thing to do. Um, and there are things that, that anybody can do, and it's not that hard, you know, sewing on patches and, and doing things like boro and, and embroidery, um, boro being the Japanese way of repairing denim and things like that. So I just think, you know, all of these things are can be turned into something that's really fun, and um, the more people that do it, the more it will become sort of a cool thing and a trend. And I think in that sense, we want that trend. We want that creative repair trend. You know, that's something that should be a fashionable thing to do um, because it has integrity and it's not just looking cool. It's, it's doing something good for the planet. So I think, um, I think those are my main suggestions is just, um, you know, finding ways to, to repair things and, and, and upcycle them in any way we can. And, and of course, obviously, if, if, you, if you're bored of something, you can also talk about swapping things with your friends, which I know has been around for a while, but it's a good one to remember, too. And, Mal, coming to you, have you got any advice as well, anywhere that people can look to find more advice of how to shop sustainably? Yeah, definitely. Aside from, obviously, reusing clothes or swapping with friends and kind of creative repairs if you are going to buy a lot of clothes like try and do your research into brands that you're buying from and look for transparency in where they kind of source their materials um and try and obviously stay away from these ultra fast cheap brands like shine or 
the online ones especially mm-hmm. um but there's some really good instagram pages called like i think it's like fashion Revolu- revolution um ethical fashion partnerships i think is one there's loads of podcasts you can just google them um and in, even just do google of sustainable kind of blogs or things like that will take you to loads of instagram pages and then you can fill up your feeds with all sorts of handy tips <laughs> instead of filling them with the fast fashion yeah exactly but it, it's it's so much more rewarding like it's actually quite enjoyable like aside like just finding things that you love and and knowing that if you were yeah if you do go and find something in a charity shop or vintage shop that that's going to be so much better quality you're not going to see anyone that's that's wearing that that's, and that's more unique completely as well. you as well yeah because mm-hmm. obviously like thrift shops and, and charity shops and thrift shopping that all came about it's great and it's having it's like it's a really big thing right now and it's so much fun but that all came about because people originally they didn't want to like sustainability wasn't a thing in people's minds that came about because people wanted high quality clothes and they but they couldn't afford Mm -hmm. straight off the shelf Mm -hmm. so that's why like that's why it's so important to, to kind of look for better quality things and support like more independent designers that where there is real value and there is like there it's like that their work's kind of transparent and it's all genuine yeah well thank you to both of you so much for coming on today and for providing some much needed insight into how to shop more sustainably and to what's actually going on in the fashion industry um as a quick note for listeners if you want to find molly or alexandra on instagram that it's just alexandra groover and woolly maid um but yeah thank you both for coming on thank you for having me Thank you. It's a pleasure. A quick note before we head off for another day. If you're listening to this, then you've lasted through a whole episode, which I'm going to guess means that you enjoyed the show, which is amazing. In order to help Island Artcast reach out to more creatives, we really need your help. So please remember to rate and review the shows you've listened to and enjoyed. Even if you didn't enjoy them, you can still rate us. If you're an avid Island Artcast listener, subscribe or follow the show on your podcast platform. These things only take two seconds out of your day to do, but mean the absolute world to the show. So please show us your support. Other than that, remember to keep up to date with all the latest Arts Council news on our website, iomarts.com, and by following us on social media. Just search Isle of Man Arts Council on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again to Molly and Alexandra for joining me today and to all of our listeners out there. See you next episode.